coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Lisa Butterworth, and this is Caught Red-Handed. Hey, everyone. Remember me? I missed you all so much, and I missed the podcast, too. I appreciate all your messages wondering where I am and when the next podcast is. Well, the next podcast is now. I have a million excuses for why I have been missing in action, but nobody wants to hear them. They mostly involve getting caught up in other stuff in my life and also feeling a bit of creative malaise regarding the podcast. But now I'm back and I think my podcast mojo is back too. I'm sure you're all on the edges of your seats waiting to hear me talk about what's been going on in my henna life for the last nine months or so. Nine months, that's like uh, a pregnancy. So um, yeah, this is my baby here today that you're listening to. Since we last talked, or since the last time you heard me, I was part of the More More Moroccan workshop with Nick, Nome, Nev, and Rebecca, as you know. It was a huge success. We had a really great turnout. Everyone seemed really blown away by everything they learned and experienced in two short days. Students got a lot of personal attention from the instructors. A lot of really amazing art was created. Tears were shed. We chatted with Fatima via Skype. So there were also a lot of transatlantic tears and smiles. And we were also able to not only cover the travel and lodging of our instructors, but also pay them each a nice little sum for their contribution to this amazing weekend. Nick and I had it as our goal to create a workshop where teachers got paid, even if he and I had to take the hit which we didn't, knowing that our amazing teachers got paid and that our students cherished their time together was incredibly satisfying. We hope to do more workshops in the future, so please stay tuned for future events. You'll hear about it here probably or maybe online. As I'm looking back over this nine-month period of henna, I can definitely notice certain trends developing in my henna business. I'd be really curious to hear from all of you if you're noticing similar trends. So I'm just gonna outline them for you. Number one, I am very, very busy, mostly with private appointments. And in the beginning of this nine month period, it was a lot of half hour appointments, but lately it's been one to one and a half hour appointments. And I'm even getting a lot of parties, which I wasn't getting too many of before. Number two, I'm getting a lot of henna virgins, many of whom come back to me regularly, summary regularly. Number three, the reasons clients say they're getting henna is sometimes related to a special day in their lives or an event that they're attending, but a lot are just doing it for fun. Number four, my clients range across a wide variety of people, though mostly women, and I'm noticing that a lot of people choose me because I'm in Brooklyn and they're also in Brooklyn. And number five, 90% of, well, no, let's say 95% of my clients want original artwork and don't want me to copy something they found online. I'm loving every single one of these trends because it reflects how I've always wanted henna to be practiced as a regular but special thing to do when you want to celebrate or just treat yourself and also something where the client appreciates the roots of the art and also the creativity of the artist and I'm seeing that playing out in my henna business. Feel free to post in the comments if you have stories to share about trends in your henna business. I'm really curious to hear how this art is being appreciated in other places. 
So about today's podcast, I'm going to break an old taboo about talking about money with other people. I'm going to break it hard by talking with Sami Aranganathan about money and broadcasting it to anyone who will listen. I personally think that this rule is kind of stupid because it keeps everyone ignorant about money, which causes us to make poor decisions about our money. This is especially problematic for small business owners such as ourselves who deal with money more directly than those who work with someone else or work for someone else rather. I've wanted to do this for a long time and for many reasons. One of the minor reasons is to talk here about my own issues and my own journey regarding money. Growing up poor-ish and always pinching pennies, I learned a lot about money, but I also absorbed some bad money habits like buying something only based on price and not on quality and then realizing when you skimp on quality, you end up spending more in the long run because you're buying a replacement or you're spending money on the repair. I always had a hard time spending money on intangibles whose value I couldn't quantify like a weekend away to recharge the batteries and come back stronger, etc. I know from conversations online that a lot of you have questions and outright fear regarding money. I also wanted to cover this issue as part of my not-so-secret feminist agenda. Let's face it, most henna artists are women, and we exist in a world where the power and the purse strings are not necessarily in our command. Many of us grow up without the skills to ask for what we're worth financially, but also physically, emotionally, and intellectually. When I first started doing henna professionally, I used to state my prices with a question mark at the end and a look of begging for approval on my face. I've learned to put a period at the end of my sentences, but there are days when I feel guilty for asking what I'm worth. I'm nearly 50, and I only recently asked for a raise for the first time in my life. I'm embarrassed to admit this. My boss agreed that I deserve a raise, but then when it came time for it, there just wasn't budget for it. And you know, this sucks, but that's way beyond the scope of this podcast. This podcast may not be able to address our issues of low self-worth, but I'll see if I can find a guest who can. But I think that we can get valuable information out there to empower us all to take our finances to a new level. My guest Samia is a henna artist. You know her as Joy of Henna on Instagram, but also works as an accountant. As you may or may not know, I also have an alter ego as a software trainer. We talk about accounting concepts and tools. We also talk about the soft science of how to set prices. We're both fans of a product called Square, Salmia because she's an employee of the company and a user of their products and me because I'm a user. We refer to Square a lot because we both use it, but what we say applies to similar products from other companies. We have also talked about doing a Google Hangout where we demo some of these concepts we talk about in the podcast, showing you how to work with spreadsheets and formulas, and also to give you uh, tours of some of the products we discuss. Please take a look at the podcast website which is www.caughtredhandedpodcast.com. I'll put a list there of the various products and procedures and whatnot that Salmi and I talk about in the podcast. So let's take a listen. I'm here with Salmia. I'm sure you've heard her voice on this podcast a couple times and seen her online. Uh, she is here for our uh, accounting and kind of tech approach to our lives as henna artists and some of you said you wanted to give a disclaimer right up front so let's go ahead and do that so that we're legally covered for any uh anything that we say here <laughs> hi lisa hi so uh if if we ever touch about uh tax topics in this mm -hmm. podcast i just want to let everyone know that this is not professional tax advice 
Uh, these are just tips uh, based on my personal experience. And if you need any help or suggestions doing your own taxes, I do recommend that you hire a professional tax advisor. <laughs> okay. okay, that's the end of my disclaimer. <laughs> oh, that sounded very legal and thorough. <laughs> so this is actually perfect because I work at a law firm and you um, you do accounting for a tech startup. I don't know if they're really a startup anymore. Um, so you covered the the accounting part. I'll cover the legal part. We should be good to go. Yeah, I think this is a good team. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when we were talking about doing this, you were saying what I think is kind of the crux of the matter, the 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 foundation of this particular episode, and that is we got into this to be artists, not to manage a business. Um, and so I'm hoping that that we can well, talk about what you were saying to me about freeing yourself to do the art. Yeah. Um, you know, for most of us, well, at least speaking from personal experience, henna started as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And there's no clear transition date to when mm -hmm. it becomes a business, right? Yeah. You don't say, oh, I've graduated from my hobby phase and today I'm a business. Although if you think about how a lot of other businesses are formed, it, it starts from a ground up from the administrative side where, okay, so I'm first going to get a business license and then I'm going to mm -hmm. buy my inventory and mm -hmm. things like that. So as artists, I think, A, we need to be cognizant of, okay, so now I'm operating it like a business. So I need to start thinking about what, uh, you know, record keeping do I need to do? What kind of tax things do I need to know about? Um, and, you know, what business licenses do I need to be thinking about? What insurance policies should I be thinking about? So now that you have all this, like, you know, it, it's like a whole new, there's going to be a lot of mumbo jumbo and like, where do you even start? Right. Yeah. And the problem is because most of us started, like, like you were saying, right, we started for the art, but then the business stuff can really start weighing you down if you don't have a solid grounding for how, how am I going to go about this? Yeah. And that can really stress you out and bring down the art and make you feel like, you know, do I really even want to be doing this anymore? Yeah. Uh, so I think our goal for today should be to kind of simplify and introduce uh, everyone to tools that really make things easy. Yeah. So that we can, you know, kind of do maybe two hours of prep work initially and have a system that will run itself, so to speak. Yeah. So that all you really need to be doing is show up to gigs, take a payment. And uh, when things get charged for your business to your credit card, it goes and updates to your accounting software automatically. Right. So that end of the year, you don't have a shoebox full of receipts that you have to filter through yeah. for taxes. That's a really good point because I think that a lot of people, maybe um, with very few exceptions, go into henna. They have Those people have a mentality that's maybe not so uh, wired for numbers and you know, all of this administrative stuff. And yeah, absolutely. And I definitely, my day job, I work as a trainer in a law firm. I teach people how to use software. And my 
users are lawyers, they have a law degree, and they don't know anything about software. And so my goal every day, and it's a constant struggle with them, is you just do your law work. I'm going to sh- I'm going to show you how to use the software so that you can just still focus on what you're here to do and not think about the software. And that's what I try and do with this with all of these tools that I use for my henna business for, you know, taking credit cards and accounting for receipts and doing taxes. I try and get it so that I don't have to do stuff with it on a regular basis and that my time is spent doing the art exactly right so that's that's pretty awesome I'm glad we're talking about this yeah me too um so the first thing I want to talk about is um well you mentioned um insurance and you mentioned um what was the other thing um, business business license. license. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to go over that. I'm, I don't know too much about it and it's so much on a state by state basis. Um, so, I mean, if you want to talk about it, we can, I just, I don't really have any questions prepared for it and I don't have a lot of knowledge, but, um, that might be something I can bring up in a later podcast. But what I do want to talk about with you is accounting and tax stuff. So first, the first thing I want to ask you about is um, what kind of information is important to capture for tax purposes, but also to kind of track the progress of your business? Okay. So, um, I mean, if you think about tax at a very high level, mm-hmm. you want to track all the income you're getting. So you want to know how much you made from each gig, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to track all the expenses you're incurring for your business. Okay. Uh and then you're going to be paying a tax on income less expense. This is, you know, mm-hmm. super simplified. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not going into any detail. So even if you're the smallest of small henna business, which is kind of where I am because it's it's not my full-time gig mm-hmm. and I do it mostly for, you know, I love the art. Mm-hmm. So I have my system is super simple. I have a Google spreadsheet where I manually enter all my receipts which is my you know all all the things people give me yeah and then I track all the henna related expenses Mm -hmm. so for me you know I I don't deduct like everything I could possibly deduct but mostly my henna expenses are going to be conferences that usually adds up to a lot yeah and um you know my actual henna supplies uh henna powder which is you know not not that expensive yeah um but like essential oils anything that actually is an expense directly relating to your business Uh so I I have a spreadsheet that gives me income and expenses and then at year end I know exactly how much I need to report for tax purposes for henna right um but say you are you know this is more of a full-time gig and it's not really feasible if you have 10 gigs a day to go and add in all of that information and 10 private appointments is still doable on a spreadsheet. But if you're doing a festival, can you imagine like 200 lines on a spreadsheet of manual entry? That's got to drive, yeah. like that would drive me nuts. And it definitely. would take forever too. It would. And the room for error is so much more, especially mm-hmm. when you have some cash and people are paying you through Square. Uh, some of it you took offline payment because you don't have internet there. And it's just like all this it, it becomes a much more messy situation when you have volume. Right. So even if you are small, 
I know I'm preaching what I don't actually follow, <laughs> but maybe this is more for myself than anybody else. But, but you are really small. You know, you're doing maybe a gig a day and you're not doing festivals and Oh you know, yeah, it's not yeah. That and those are very conscious decisions for me, right? Yeah. I decided I don't want to be doing festivals. Mm-hmm. Um what I really enjoy doing are small private appointments mm-hmm. um and parties. So it it works for me, but there are tools that you can use. So for example, Square Register, mm-hmm. which uh, I know you use as well. Yep. So most of us think of that as, oh, I can take credit card payments with Square, which mm-hmm. is true. You can take credit card payments. But Square also has, uh, the, the app is basically a full-blown cash register that also takes credit cards. So if you're in a festival, if you make it a habit to enter every single payment you receive that day to Square Register, mm-hmm. even if it's a cash payment. Yeah. So, you know, you can think about your $5, $10, and Square makes it easy to create new items. Mm-hmm. So what I've done for my Square Register is have different um, items for different dollar value of how much I'm making. So kind of like, you know, I sold, you know, this thing. Right. But it's not a thing; it's a service, like a half an hour, exactly, um, de- a half an hour appointment or a twenty dollar design. Exactly. So you know, for me, I set it up like half an hour, one hour, because my gigs are just parties and appointments, right? right. So it's hourly. It's very simple, yeah. But if you're at a festival, I you know what I I would do probably is create five, ten, fifteen, or if you start at ten, mm-hmm. like ten, fifteen, twenty, just have like a bunch of items where right. you're offering designs. And each time you do one of them, you're going to charge in the register. And then it, it gives you an option to do like cash or credit card, right? Oh, so cool. you, would, you would just say cash and then take the cash in. And now at the end of the day, it, it, it lets you do so much more than just give you a total of how much you made, which is a number one. Mm-hmm. You, you want to know how much you made that day. Yeah. But it also lets you do cool things. Like it, it'll let you find out which designs are more popular. Right. So, like, or is this, is there a trend of more $20 designs? That kind of yeah. thing? Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. So, for example, you might think that $5 designs get people into the tent, mm-hmm. but maybe $15 are designs are more popular. Mm-hmm. So, maybe taking out the $5 lets you uh, get in more people that are willing to pay $15. And now you're not wasting time on a lower. Um, you know, lower dollar generating design yeah. where you're now taking out room for somebody that was willing to pay you more money. Yes. Yeah. Because exactly. the time in a day is limited, right? Yeah. And you want to maximize the money you make from that day from yeah. a purely business perspective. Yeah. And by doing a lower uh, dollar value design, you're taking away time that could have been used by a higher dollar value design. Yeah, exactly. You know, just as an aside, that's something that a concept that I learned a while back when I was doing street fairs that the providing a service is often less lucrative than somebody who's selling objects. So if I'm selling, you know, earrings, if it takes me about as long to sell 20 pairs of earrings as it takes to sell one pair of earrings, but the difference between doing one design and 20 designs is is very noticeable so i think this kind of tracking of what your most lucrative design categories are is really important to to get the most out of that kind of environment right and you know 
like I know Square also does other things. So like for example, it can give you information in a easy to read dashboard, so you're not doing a whole bunch of number crunching. Mm-hmm. Um, spreadsheets are great if you if it's simple and small, but once you have a lot of volume, spreadsheets kind of get messy, and yeah. you know it's easy to make mistakes. And like honestly, who wants to be spending time like fixing up a spreadsheet when you could be doing more gigs. Well, I kind of get off on that, but yeah, I, know, I agree. I know. Sorry. I, I was kind of speaking against my conscience yes. when I said, who wants to fix Let me just do a pivot table and play with this number. Just for fun. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, so the other thing I was going to say about using a register, and obviously, like we said before, Square doesn't have to, Square is just an example, because it's what I use personally, and uh, I mean, I also work for them, yeah. but uh, any register software these days that you know, are mobile-friendly, take credit cards, uh, should be able to do these dashboards and reporting that I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, because it's just data, it's pulling in the data, and there's, exactly. there's all kinds of like geolocation data that's in there, and also time, so for example, you can find out like, wow, we were really slow between 2 and 4 p.m. Let's all take our breaks then since that's a slow time. Or, exactly. you know, I made this much last year and now I'm making this much this year. Or, you know, the morning uh, I'm getting a lot of $5 designs, but in the afternoon the more expensive designs start to pick up or whatever. Right. And it can also help with, say, hiring decisions. Like mm. maybe – uh, the you know if you're having particularly high volume uh, you know increases at certain times of the day maybe you need to get an extra booth uh, assistant or things like that right yeah yeah definitely um so and once you have all this data in a register now you can do cool things like integrate all the receipts that you have in your register straight mm-hmm. to your accounting software. So, for example, QuickBooks Online is something I've used. I've set it up for a not-for-profit I help out with and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's very intuitive. Um, It really doesn't, like, you're not expected to be an accountant to use QuickBooks. And that's what I love about it, right? It really thinks about what do the users want to see and what do they, you know, they're trying to make you not do accounting, Mm -hmm. which is is great. Um, So... Square will, uh, you know, they will talk to QuickBooks directly. So when you're doing your uh, monthly or yearly accounting, mm-hmm. all all the money you made will just automatically be in your accounting software. So you don't have nice. to go back and forth. Yeah. And and you can link it to your bank, which will then, you know, add up all the deposits from Square into uh, your bank deposit and it, mm-hmm. it'll compare the bank deposit to what you've recorded as a sale and like it, it'll do a lot of um, you know match automatic matching and stuff which is cool. good that's great yeah. what other software does it work with what other kinds of things like QuickBooks um honestly like I'm not too sure I know there's a lot of um, accounting software on the market right now oh, okay there, there's one called Zero, oh, like yeah, X- yeah, Xero, yeah, Xero. Yeah. Um, I've I've heard really good things about it I as well. Too. I, I, I haven't, I don't have personal experience with it, but I know they do a lot mm-hmm. of um, integrations as well. So when you're choosing an accounting software, I would think about how it fits into your ecosystem. Okay, so I know <laughs> that, that. Okay, okay. Let me backtrack a little. Yeah, yeah. So for big companies, they think about their ecosystem, but as individuals, we also have an ecosystem. Yes. So, for example, if you use Gmail, Google Calendar, yeah, 
you already have an ecosystem yeah. because your calendar software is linked to your email. Mm-hmm. Now, if, uh, if you're thinking about um, an appointment software, you want to think about, okay, so does this appointment software integrate with my calendar software? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to have to change right. the entire way how you just, you know schedule your life and your business because of this new software that you, you're buying. Yeah. Especially because there might be something in the market that's just as good that does already integrate with your calendar. Right. So you, you kind of see what I mean, yep, right? Like yep. if, if you have a register you want to find uh, that you really like, like say you're on PayPal register, yeah. then you want to make sure that whatever accounting software you pick will already be able to talk to PayPal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sorry if I went on a No, no, no. That's good. I mean, I'm totally on, on board with that because, you know, that's kind of the area I work in and I... And, I just hate having to do something twice, like put something in my calendar and put it into my appointment software. That just like to have to do something twice when it's just data and they should be able to talk to each other. That makes me insane. So I'm always looking for ways to integrate these things into a whole system. And now I'm thinking about how am I going to get Square working with some kind of accounting software? Because I, I put everything like, like you, you know, I'm kind of small. I have a day job. I don't have mm-hmm. a lot of data to input, so I just put it all in. You know, uh, do I use? Yeah, I use Google Spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, I just kind of, you know, when tax time comes around at the end of the year, I scramble to make sure all of my data is up to date. And it's it's kind of torture. It would be nice if it were just integrated. Um, right. But because I'm small, I can I can be a little bit lazy. But like my my um, booking software goes both ways with my calendar so it reads what's in my calendar and blocks those times out as unavailable and then and then if an appointment comes into my booking service it puts it onto my personal calendar so I can just pick up my iPhone and see exactly what I have and I don't have to put something into one of them and then put it into the other as well so right no that's huge yeah like, can you imagine how quickly you're going to lose track if you had to track those calendars separately? Yeah. Like, no it's way. just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no way. And it just reminds me of the old days when I had a flip phone and I would go to work during the day and print out my MapQuest maps for my gigs. And Oh, oh my God, MapQuest. <laughs> I feel like that's my childhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. But yeah, I mean, just to think of going back to those bad old days, it just, I feel a little ill right now thinking of that. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're in a really good time right now where Mm -hmm. tech is innovating very, very quickly. Yes. And all you can, and half these things are free for small users, right? Yeah. A lot of them are on a freemium model where generally it's free. And then if you want extra features, you'll pay a little more. Yeah. But, but for small businesses, I think most of these actually end up being free or very yep. low cost. Yeah. Like I think QuickBooks is like $4 a month or $8. Like it's wow. something, it's definitely under 10 a month. And if you think about how much time and uh, actually how much taxes it can save you, because yeah. if you have better record keeping, you're more likely to cl- claim more deductions. Right. And then, which, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. Well, I was, which automatically tra- uh, translates to tax savings. Yeah, so exactly. It, it, it kind of pays for itself already. Yeah. And then also the time it saves you from having to do all of this manually is time that you could be spent spending, you know, with a client making money. So, yeah. And or that's just doing the goal. nothing, which yeah. is also valuable. It's very valuable. <laughs> As I'm sitting here on Labor Day, just, yeah. uh, you know, contemplating the thought of doing nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, right? It's yeah. precious. Yes, it definitely is. So it's funny we're talking about this. Um, well, f- for our listeners, they don't know that it's Labor Day, but we're recording this on Labor Day. Um, so, all right. So we talked about um, what information is important to capture. I'm just going to recap, and that's income and expenses. And then also tracking um, the nature of that income. Where does it come from? Um, how many of what, um, you know, what time of day and all of that stuff. And then using that data to to look at how your business is running and having that data integrate with some kind of accounting software. Um, so let's let's get down to a little bit more granular level with the tax stuff and talk about expenses. Um, so can you can you give us an overall idea of what the concept is of a be- business expense and yeah. and specifically with henna and, sure. and give us some ideas of well just do that and I'll, and I'll talk we'll talk about the other stuff I have. Okay. So uh the first thing you need to know about business expenses is you need to have adequate record keeping. Mm-hmm. And this is like an IRS um, rule. Mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, the CRA in Canada, which is the tax, you know, it's, it's basically the IRS, IRS of Canada. They have similar rules as well. That's, and a, that's so- a good point. Let me just interrupt you because we have a lot of international listeners. So um, again, mm-hmm. disclaimer applies. This is not tax advice or, you know, it's just we're just talking about it. And you have to check and see what your local authorities require so exactly (laughs) but i know that in general tax is based on similar principles across many countries Mm -hmm. so what we're saying might not be applicable specifically to the examples we talk about but you know it's still the same kind of thinking right right right. so you can apply it to whatever for example the mileage rate might be different but Mm -hmm. the fact that you can deduct mileage is going to be the same gotcha um, so, but in general, you do need to keep all the receipts that you're going to deduct. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you're buying henna powder, you need to be able to see who you bought it from, the date you bought it and how much you're, you paid for it. So for me, the easiest way to keep all my receipts is have them in soft copy. Mm-hmm. So if I have an email receipt, I'll take a screenshot or, I mean, email is, easy enough to search through. Yeah. Um, so that's not hugely scary for me. But uh, if you have a lot of volume, I do recommend um, linking your credit card or bank to accounting software. So mm. it'll automatically import. Um, mm. And if you have enough volume, it might be worth getting a separate credit card for a business. Mm-hmm. That way you're not you know, your personal stuff won't get mingled with your business stuff and it won't be like, oh my gosh, like, how do I ever figure out? Which is which, yeah. Yeah. And also having uh, hard copy receipts, like, let's face it, it's very hard at the end of the year to filter a whole year's worth of receipts. Yeah. Um, So this is just like a general, you know, like a best practice on record keeping. Mm -hmm. Uh, Move things to soft copy, attach it to the software that you're going to use for tracking, right? Um, Can I interrupt you for a second? Can you tell me what soft copy is? Soft copy is just uh, not like a real paper in your hand. It's something on your computer. Yeah, PDF works, um, definitely. Or sometimes I just take a photo with my iPhone and then upload it. So that works too. You don't need need a, a... scanner yeah um like it's it's basically just a photo that you can print out later um one thing just just two little 
tech solutions that are, you know, they're, I think it'd be better if it's linked to your accounting software. But what I do is I get, I order a lot of stuff online. So I just ordered essential oils. And when they send me the confirmation and the receipt, I use um, Gmail labels and I just right. have one for every tax year. So right now I have one that's, um, that's um, 2015 taxes and it just, you know, it just labels it. And then at the, at the end of the year, I pull it all together just by doing a search for Gmail labels. And also there's, I think um, it's a Fujitsu snap scan. It's a tiny little desktop scanner and you can just come home from a day of shopping for your business or whatever and just put the receipts in there and you can set it up so that everything that that you put in there just automatically goes to a single folder so you don't have to sit there and think about where you're saving it and you know looking at it or whatever you just have it all dump in that folder and that's pretty sweet yeah nice yeah so uh, go ahead <laughs> So, I mean, now that we know that we have to keep receipts, um, I looked up, you know, things that are deductible and things that are not deductible. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that some of these definitely apply to HANA businesses. So the first one is home office. Mm -hmm. um, so you can actually deduct a portion of your, you know, your home expenses mm -hmm. if you use uh, a part of your house regularly and exclusively for business purposes. Right. So this is kind of, you know, that wording is IRS wording, regularly and exclusively. Right. Um, I don't generally talk like that. Yes. But <laughs> um, when they say exclusively, uh, I think there's a bit of, like, for example, if it's your living room that you take clients in, it's not really exclusive to your business because you're just going to sit there and watch TV or do other stuff, right? Right. But if you have, um, like, think of, uh, people that have a room or a part of their garage set up for henna right and it's only henna like it's decorated really well and i see photos of people's studios and i mm. always get very envious <laughs> but those kind of studios yes. yeah will qualify for home office mm. and in terms of the actual deduction i think you can do a square foot uh like it's kind of like mileage where you have a dollar per square foot and you can see how much of that you can deduct right or if you're able to somehow track exactly how much of your utilities is for that, which right. I think is pretty hard. Yeah. But if you have a method for doing that, and, you know, I think for the actual mechanics of the deduction, there's a lot of resources available online. Yeah. But just the fact that if you do have a space set out in your house like that, then it could qualify for home office deduction. Yeah. My, uh, my tax preparer... Yeah. I don't know what percentage, but let's say 17% of the square footage of my house is devoted to henna. So that means where I take clients, where I mix henna, where I, you know, work on henna or whatever. Um, yeah. So let's say that's 17% of my square footage, and then she'll take 17% of my um, phone bill and 70% of my electricity and gas. Um, yeah. So it's just that fixed amount every time. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, as long as you're able to say that this is a reasonable estimate and if you ever do get audited, you're able to support that, you know, where you came up with that 17%, right. it should be okay. Exactly. Um, as long as it's not, you know, completely unreasonable, you'll most likely you be okay. Get flagged, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so home office is one. Mileage is another. Mm -hmm. So if you are driving to henna gigs, you can... Uh, deduct mileage 
and there's usually like a dollar per mile right. that you can take off. Right, and it changes every year too. It it does change. So I know for 2014 we had like 50 something cents. Yeah, I think so it was 53 or something. I don't even yeah. drive. <laughs> <laughs> I know me neither. <laughs> um, but so the thing with travel is you can actually deduct more for things like business travel. So for example, I know people that take gigs um, that are outside their immediate city mm-hmm. where say, you know, you're in New York mm-hmm. and you take a gig in like upstate or mm-hmm. somewhere else and you're required to take a train there or a bus and you're going to rent a car there. Uh, you're, you have lodging if you have yep. to stay overnight yep. and meals that you spend while there. Yep. You can actually deduct all of that as part of business travel because yep. that trip is exclusively for business. So, you know, all your expenses that you're incurring there, none of that will count as personal. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one to know because these things can add up. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely. And definitely, like, uh, you know, if say you're using labels like you are, right, mm-hmm. Lisa? Uh, I would just write, like, an email to myself and say, okay, so this is the trip I did on so-and-so date. Um, this was the name of the gas station uh, that I put gas in, blah, blah, blah. And just, like, a summary because it'll be really fresh in your memory when it's just over. But at the end of the oh, year, yeah. if you have to look for a credit card charge, <sighs> it'll be impossible if you don't know the name of the vendors. Yeah, I mean, you might know by date, but it's still just easier to have it all in one place so you kind of know what to look for. That's a very good idea. Um, I mean, I've, I've not actually done any of that. This is just my <laughs> imagination. If I were the perfect person, I would do this. <laughs> Well, it's really rare yeah. that we do the, that. You and I, at least, do those kind of gigs where you're exactly. doing train and taxi and and yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to refer to because I'm super lazy. <laughs> um, okay, so I talked about home office mileage mm-hmm. and business travel. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is payroll. So if you hire somebody, mm-hmm. um, whatever salaries you pay them, you can deduct. It's it's a definite business expense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like somebody full time. Like if you have someone part time, just helping out with, you know, things you do, or it could be really anything. But so the overarching like principle behind it is as long as it's directly related to your business, mm-hmm. you can, you know, you, you can, can think of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as long as it's not in their exceptions list, and of course, they have like a whole bunch of that stuff. Right. But anyway, um, marketing, promotion. So if you're running Google Ads, mm-hmm. that's like marketing expense for your business. So you should be able to delete the ads, not delete that. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Deduct that. <laughs> Please don't delete yes. any expenses. <laughs> and then also um, business cards. You can deduct business cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Branding, like mm-hmm. if you uh, are spending money to a logo designer, mm-hmm. it counts as a, you know, it's like, it's almost like marketing, right? Yeah. Branding, marketing. I, I think it all kind of comes into the same umbrella. Um, rent. If you rent a separate store or a studio, mm-hmm. uh, this is for people that don't have a home office, but they have a separate studio and, you know, it definitely counts as a business expense. You can deduct rent. Um, if you borrow some money to expand your business and, in those cases, the interest you pay on your loan is deductible as a business expense. Oh, so nice. I don't know, um, I don't know how applicable that is, but you never know, right? Like, yeah. if that is something you're doing, and 
it, it might make sense to do that when you have a lot of opportunity for expansion. Yeah. Um, it, it's good to know that the interest is deductible as an expense. Um, again, I mean, a lot of us, I mean, I don't know, I think almost 100% of artists I know in the U.S. have personal insurance mm -hmm. with some kind of, you know, beauty or body work kind of insurance company. Mm -hmm. So your insurance premiums are deductible. Cool. Um, books. Computer software. Yeah, oh, books. Sorry, books and research. And I think my text repair said also, like, if I go to a, go to a museum to go, you know, quote unquote, research design ideas or whatever, that's also included in there. Yeah, actually, the education one is a huge bucket mm. because they I think they even permit stuff like magazine subscriptions. Yeah, for yep. not I, I haven't seen any magazine subscriptions in North America, but uh, you know, if, if you do have some kind of design magazine subscription that you can say, like, it directly relates to you developing your henna, mm -hmm. you know, your repertoire, mm -hmm. then uh, that, sh that will count as a deduction as well. Mm -hmm. um, stuff like uh, appointment software, mm -hmm. accounting software, all of that is deductible. Yep. Um, so if you feel, if, if you ask, so now you can start thinking of business costs as after-tax costs, like, you know, the cost of it, and then you can... Did see how much tax saving it's really getting you. Yeah. Um, so sometimes these things are, they help in more than one way. Let's just say that. And also like um, you're like, if you need to buy a camera to take photos of your work, to promote yourself, or you need a yeah. computer or you need, um, I don't know, whatever, like I'm, I'm always deducting anything, my iPhone, my yeah. iPad. So the only, I mean, that's, that's all great. The mm -hmm. only caveat is that, they say you can deduct the business portion of that expense. Oh, okay, yeah. So if you also end up using it for personal use, you might have to take a percentage. Mm -hmm. And then and, it and sorry, yeah, it also gets amortized over a certain number of years it, depending on the exactly the item. Because if you're using the computer for three years, say right, mm -hmm. you take that expense over a period of three years. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, you know small mechanics that you need to think about, but. These are just things to keep in mind. Like, you, you don't necessarily have to have a tax preparer, mm -hmm. but even if you do, um, it's just good to have these so that if they forget, you can tell them, oh, hey, I bought this banner for my festival tent, and that's a business deduction, yeah. right? They might not even know that you had one. So right. it's just things like these for you to jog your memory. I usually put a bunch of things in there especially if there's new stuff and I'm not sure. And then when I show up for my tax appointment, I, you know, I just go through these things. Like I spent, you know, $20 on a banner or whatever. And she'll, she'll tell me, okay, yeah, that we definitely track. Right. <clears throat> no, that's great. So I think the bottom line comes down to keep your records really, really well. Keep all your receipts. Even if you think it's not deductible, just keep it anyway. Yeah. Cause maybe it is deductible and then you save some money. Yeah. And my tax, um, my tax preparer yeah. told me just save um, any kind of transport, um, any kind of meal. And she said meals, you know, we think of business meals as, you know, somebody taking a client out to dinner in order to get business from them or something. But sometimes, you know, we're just taking, you know, we're just having coffee with the photographer to talk about planning a shoot for your portfolio or something like that. And even that. Yeah it can be considered a business meal. Yeah. So, you know, definitely, I, I agree. Like, there's all these things that you wouldn't even think are deductible, but they are. Because if, if you really think about it, it is a business expense. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, I agree. That was a good point. Um, so quickly touching on what's not deductible. Mm-hmm. Uh, business clothes. I don't know how much this applies, but I know some hen artists get asked to work in costumes or <laughs> like, I know, I, I know how you feel about that. Yeah. But, but also like if you invest in specific like ethnic wear or mm-hmm. things that say, I only go to a henna gig in black because henna is messy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that you invest like a uniform or something like that for your henna, those are not deductible. They're not deductible? No. Oh, okay. Business clothes. What if you're a clown? Well, and you need like the nose and the shoes and the wig. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. Maybe it is deductible if you're a clown because that's more like marketing. Like you're yeah. not gonna get any promotion as a clown if you don't look like a clown. Yeah. So it's kind of like wearing your banner on yourself. Yeah. My um, my but... te- my text prepared told me about a case where she had a client who was he was a professional mime and he was trying to deduct like regular everyday clothes and she said you can only um deduct a costume and he said well i'm more comfortable in my mime in my mime outfit and the regular everyday clothes feel like a costume to me that's why i wanted to deduct those (laughs) but i I know totally Um, so I, so I don't know if that's with your tax preparer on that. Yeah. Um, this is just from reading, uh, on a high level Yeah. and from my memory from when I studied this stuff, but, um, <laughs> now you're rethinking I mean, it. Definitely look into it. I know I am rethinking <laughs> it, but from what I thought, like, like, I think this was more meant for say, like you're working at a factory and you invest in like shoes and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's not deductible, but maybe if that is your business, like, hanging around in that but i would argue that as henna artists it's not our business to hang out in costumes exactly. like we do other stuff for work yeah so it, in that line of thought i will argue that it's not really a business expense if you're a stripper <laughs> um okay we'll save that for another yeah, day yeah i know I, um, I can't parse that at all <laughs> the lack of costume is your costume all right i don't know what the cost of that would be though yeah i know <laughs> Oh, God. All right. So the other things that are not deductible. Um, parking tickets or speeding tickets oh. if you're running late to a gig are not <laughs> deductible. Okay. Um, so please leave on time and don't get tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we touched on it before, but cell phone expenses are only deductible to the extent that they're for business. Okay. Uh, so, you know, most of us have one cell phone that we use for personal and business. So only deduct the business portion. What? Uh, uh, one, one, sorry. Oh, uh, my text repair. Uh, this was back when I actually had a landline. She considered my landline, my personal phone and my cell phone, my business phone. But now yeah. everything kind of runs through my cell phone. So I, I don't think she does that for me anymore. I think it's a portion. Right. And one way to do that is... I mean, if you're magically able to track on your cell phone bill how much of uh, your calls are business, yeah. um, I usually just don't even deduct it because for me, my plan is basically like unlimited texts and calls mm-hmm. and stuff, right? So it's I, I don't really track it call by call, and I figure like if it's like $50 a month, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how um, aggressive you want to be. It. I mean, okay, sorry, I take that back. I don't think it's being aggressive. It's how accurate you want to be with your entire expenses. Yeah. Some expenses I say like, you know, if I probably spend more time tracking this than <laughs> the, uh, 
Like if I did one henna gig in this time, I could make back whatever tax saving I would exactly. Have yeah. So you want to think about like, is will it be worth your time to track? Gotcha. Um. So I think those are the big ones that are kind of not obvious, but do apply to henna artists. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any others that we haven't touched on? No, I think that was it. I was taking notes of things, um, but yeah, you covered them all. Okay, cool. We did talk about conferences, right? That you can deduct. You mentioned it very briefly. Okay, so henna conferences are definitely like an educational. It's very clear that it's educational. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can deduct for tax purposes. But I would be like, say, for example, if you go to a henna meetup instead of, instead of a conference where it's not clear if there's going to be instruction, mm-hmm. that that might be harder. Like, I don't think that would really qualify. Like, if you're just hanging out with other henna artists and doing henna on each other. Yeah. I mean, yes, there is learning because you do learn watching other people work. Mm-hmm. But for tax purposes, I think you need to have like a more, you know, structured kind of learning or at least be able to show that okay so these are the skills i improved on right so right. So, something to just think about i took these classes and this is what was offered yeah. and and for- but definitely like workshops are completely like business expense education related deductible so if you take lisa's moroccan workshop <laughs> that will be deductible and travel to the workshop and meals during it in hotel those things are all deductible i as think well. that would count as yeah business travel okay Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, all right, the next thing I want to talk about is prices. This is a thing that we see a lot online, people asking about um, how much should I charge for this? And sometimes I think that's, you know, that's such a simplistic question. How much would you charge for this design? And there's so much more to pricing than than meets the eye I think and and I just want to go over it really quickly about how I um set my prices and then you can tell me what I'm doing wrong or or you know or how you think about prices um and for me I go at the price from two different directions one Mm -hmm. is what does it cost me to create this design um how many years of practice um how much time did it take me to create the paste how much did the paste cost me so that's kind of the cost of the design and then the other direction i come from is where do i live and what do people usually pay for this design which is kind of hard to gauge unless you have a really you have a lot of competition and you know you know what other people charge because you 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 know it may cost you a lot to create that design um but the market that you're in may not bear it. So that's how I right. go about it. And then and, and then also yeah. um, having the confidence to say, this is my price and not sound, sound like you're unsure of being able to charge that. And you know, that last one was the hardest for me. Yeah, me too. When I started out. Yeah. It's just, wow, yeah. I think <laughs> at a job, it's easier to kind of, even at a job, I don't think I have 100% confidence to say that, okay, so I, I'm really worth X amount and you guys are underpaying me. <laughs> like, I, I, I will never have the guts to go talk to my manager like yeah. that. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I think maybe it's a thing with women, uh, you know, like, 
Raj, uh, you know, my husband, mm -hmm. he's a pretty good negotiator. And he, he keeps telling me, like, you know, when you are interviewing and you're in the job search process, it's so important to negotiate. And it's crazy. Like, I thought about how little I've negotiated. In fact, most times for my first few jobs, I didn't even negotiate yeah, at all. Yeah. Zero. I've never negotiated I, for a salary when I looked for a job. Like, I, I negotiated, like, very lame. Like, I asked for a signing bonus, and I thought, oh, my God, like, oh, this is amazing. And Rod is like, uh, so you didn't change your base salary? I was like, oh. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. Oh, yeah, so, so it's it's really it's really crazy how different. Um, I know this is like one example, and it, I probably shouldn't generalize, but I think in general, men feel more confident and more okay asking mm -hmm. for more money mm -hmm. and knowing their worth, as opposed to women. I feel like oh, maybe I should feel so grateful that someone's actually willing to hire me. Yeah, and these kind of thoughts definitely translate to Hannah. And initially, yeah. you know, it's it's really hard because you don't know how good you are. Mm -hmm. And, and most people that are very good think they're not very good, <laughs> which is the worst. Yeah. Because, you know, like, that should not be the case. And most people that do think they're very good, generally, uh, <laughs> especially if you're a newbie, like, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm terrible. But anyway. <laughs> the, no, the thing is, like, when I started out, right, most of the people that see my work are friends and family. And, of mm -hmm. course, they think I'm amazing yeah. because... I'm probably better, I'm doing better than what most people they've seen do. Yeah. And they're all hobbyists and no one's professional. Yeah. So in terms of knowing your skill level, which will drive pricing, right? Yeah. It, I think it's important to always look for peer feedback. And when I say mm -hmm. peer, ask for people that are professionals in the industry. Yeah. Ask for, uh, you know, your, your henna idols that you look up to, which I do all the time because... I, I don't really want compliments, right? Like, we're all over that. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you want to get better. You want to really know, like, if this is what I do for a customer, will they be happy? Mm -hmm. Is this what they are going to expect from a professional? And unless you're at that stage where you're confident that you can go to someone and do henna for them and they will feel like, well, I got this from a professional and they can show that off to their friends and be happy. Mm -hmm. I think until you are comfortable with that, you probably shouldn't think about charging. <laughs> right? Yeah, so that, I agree. That's at one level. Yeah. But, but that's not taking into account people that are just not confident enough in their skills. So when your henna professionals or uh, other, you know, pros, whatever, whatever you want to call them, when people are telling you that, hey, this is amazing work, mm -hmm. you should take that as a hint. Even if you feel that for, for yourself that you're not good enough to charge, if people that have 20, 25 years of industry experience are telling you that you are good, then you're probably ready to charge, yeah. even what whatever you feel about your own skills. Yeah. So I say, like... In, to build the confidence, it definitely helps to keep your ears open and listen to how other fe people feel about your work. Yeah. Sometimes it's not what you want to hear. <laughs> a lot of the times it probably isn't what you want to hear because what we feel about art is very different from what other people feel about art. And this is both positive and negative. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, and honestly, what I feel about a bridal henna design I do changes. Like the day I do it, I generally always hate yep. it. <laughs> Maybe a week later, I'm like, oh, I guess it's okay. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> how I am. Photos like six months later, I'm like, oh, this should probably be on my website. Why didn't I upload it? <laughs> so I feel like our critical eye is very, you know, it's very fickle minded. Yeah. And 
seeking feedback and it I mean it honestly helps you grow so much like and it helps you figure out your skill level and where you are um all all of that will come into your pricing yeah uh so you know when I started out you think about the hourly rate for hand artists in your area and you compare that to like an hourly job and you go whoa like how is that even real yeah so most hourly jobs I was doing back then were like under $20 an hour <laughs> as a student, right, in yeah. college. And all my friends were like working at fast food restaurants and like even $20 an hour for a job at the time seemed a lot. Yeah. And here I was telling my friends that, oh, so, you know, I'm like decently good at henna now. And people ask me how much I charge when I didn't even have a business then. <laughs> I didn't charge. I would just like do random events. So... And then I, I told, and one of my friends like, so how much do other artists charge? And I said, oh, there's this one artist that charges $60 an hour in Toronto. And I felt so uncomfortable even saying that. Yeah. Because $60 an hour for when most of your peers are making like 10 to $15 an hour just sounds ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. But the thing about Hannah is, yeah, you're making that in one hour. But like you said, there's so much prep work that you need to do. There's all this practice time that you won't get paid for. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it doesn't, you can't really think of that as an hourly job at that point. Yeah, exactly. You're basically saying, I'm, I'm charging you this for the party and everything that goes into it. Exactly. Starting from all the supplies, starting from the cone rolling time, which yeah. for me takes forever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all these little things do add up, yeah. right? And a lot of my local gigs, I don't tra charge for travel time. But if you really think about end-to-end -end how much time goes into a gig, mm -hmm. your hourly rate will be a lot lower than what you put on your website. Yeah, Let's just totally. Say that. Yeah. Um, so I think start looking at what other people charge in your local area is a good benchmark. Yeah. To set that number. And to look but, at the know, range of what people charge because you you have a, a keen enough eye about henna where you can look and say, well, that person's not very good and they're charging this and this par person is amazing and they're charging that. Where do I yeah. sit in that spectrum of quality? Yeah. And, you know, you always have to caveat that with some people will always be anomalies in their range. Mm -hmm. Like, I know amazing artists that don't charge uh, at the highest end of the yep, band. We both have those and people I, in our in our markets. Right. <laughs> and you have not so good people that are still pretty new and still not the fastest artists that mm -hmm. are charging hourly rates that are you, you, they won't necessarily fall into the band where you think they should fall into the band. Right. But this is where I think the third uh, pricing input, so I call it, <laughs> comes into play, right? So you want to set your pricing so that at the end of the gig, you feel happy. Right. You don't feel undercharged. Right. You, you don't feel like you've overcharged. And for me, that number was definitely trial and error. So, yeah. you know, I, charged, I started with $60 an hour and then I said, you know, like for all the work that this is, having me do like I don't think I feel great yeah I, I I'm doing like used. a bridal yeah I felt like you know I could be using be my time better mm -hmm. right and there's always opportunity costs like unless there's literally nothing else you could be doing at a given time <laughs> there's always something that you could have done instead of doing this exactly. henna game that you yeah. feel where you feel like you know even if I just sat on my couch and did nothing for an hour I would have felt better <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, then you know you're undercharging for sure. Right. So if you're having like, oh, this is such a waste of my time, blah, blah, blah feelings, then you should think about your pricing. Definitely. Um, but the crazy thing for me was, so I started at $60 an hour, right, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And then at one point I said, you know, this is not working out. So I moved it up to 75 Mm-hmm. And I actually got a lot more business at $75 so an hour. True. That's so true. And it blew my mind. But, you know, they've done tests where they show people, like, two bars of soap. And, and the soap, you know, it's like fancy French soap, lavender, whatever. And they um, they ask people to say which one is better. And apparently they're identical. And so most, like... Um, most of the time they can't really tell the difference, but when they put a higher price on one of them, like this bar of soap is um, twelve fifty, and the other bar of soap is three fifty, they always think that the one that is more expensive is better, even though they're the yeah. same. So we're definitely, people are definitely influenced by the prices on things. It's, it's really crazy. So, you know, sometimes you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to undercut my market and charge uh, mm-hmm. a lower price because I want better business. Yeah. But that might actually be working not in your favor. So that's something to think about as well. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that goes back to what you said earlier, Lisa, about your target market. Like, you know, what part of the market are you really interested in? Mm-hmm. Um, are you interested in pricing it at a slightly lower range so you're more accessible? Which is a perfectly good way to approach it, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that's what you want from your business. Um, or you can say, you know, I would rather do fewer gigs at a higher yeah. hourly rate. Mm-hmm. And and that all comes to personal philosophy. So mm-hmm. I, I think in general, I, I, I don't, I just think pricing is such a personal decision that you kind of leave it to people and let them do what as they wish yeah because that will just reflect directly in how their business does and it's you know it's a free market pricing generally tends to correct itself yeah i think so there's another issue and i'm not i'm not really clear on what my thoughts are on it but you can also price for the demographic that you want you know do you want a bunch of rich old women to hire you to come and do henna for them in their mansion um, yeah. or do you want like kids coming and getting, you know, their boyfriend's name on their lower back or something, you know, like what, what's your style of henna? Personally, I hate doing names. I hate copying other people's work. So I feel like if I price my stuff a little bit higher, then I won't get those people who just want something that's a fake tattoo. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of drawing in the, the kind of clients that I want. And I know, you know, over the last like three or four years, I feel like the type of designs people want has changed quite a bit. Yes. I don't know if you're seeing that as well, but maybe it's Instagram and Pinterest and all these things yeah. where uh, people are actually recognizing good henna versus bad henna. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I used to get all these like really crappy designs and I I would honestly just look them in the eye and say, you know what? I can do like way better than this. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I'm not copying that. But now people are, you know, showing me artists that are really good and um, yeah. where um, you know, it, it's it's just like I'm happy to do those designs because they're actually really good. Yeah. And and maybe just the surplus of good henna around on the Internet now is better than before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so all those factors definitely added up. Yeah. 
I don't know. I feel like I rambled too much. Do you think we... Well, about prices, I think, um, you know, it comes down to what should you charge, what can you charge, and what you're willing to charge. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so what should you charge? Well, that's based on how much how much time and money you put into getting as good as you are and what can you charge us? What will the market bear? And what should you charge us? What do you think henna should be worth? Like there's a person here who charges like $250 an hour. And I just, I feel like that makes henna too exclusive and it just, it keeps it from regular people. Like I, I started offering a half an hour appointment for $40 because I feel like that would, people would say, Oh, $40 isn't that much. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get a lot of newcomers who've never had henna done before. So I'm expanding my market by bringing people in at this relatively low price. It's probably more than some people, but, um, and that may, you know, $40 may not be very profitable for me, but a lot of those people come back because they got a taste for it and they like it. So that's another thing to consider is, you know, what, what do you want henna to be priced? What do you think is fair for, for it? Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that $250 hourly rate, right? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe the target market there is actually, um, like, high-end magazine photo shoots. Stuff like the the fashion magazines that are actually thinking $250 an hour for a lot of big businesses is actually not that much. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it. Yeah, yeah. They pay a ton for, like, an event menu. Mm -hmm. Like, in tens of thousands of dollars. And you can confidently charge $250 for those and no one's going to bat an eye. Right, exactly. But it, yeah, it, it, it definitely comes back, like you said, to what you want as an artist. What kind of people do you want to meet uh, in this process? Yeah. Right? So pricing, yeah, it's, it's just so hard. And, you know, when people show designs on online forums and say, uh, it's, it's like a beautiful design, it's like a one-hand design, and they say, how much should I price this? It just, like, blows my mind because you need so much more context than just the art to come to that number. And I remember when I first started, I would, I would tell people, well, not when I first started, but you know, after I'd I'd had some experience and I was doing street fairs, um, I would suggest to newbies to charge a dollar an hour. So, Mm -hmm. so that if you are really quick, you'll make more money and a dollar a minute. Yeah. For a design. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and this was back, you know, I've been doing this for 17 years. So this was back a ways and it was mm-hmm. street fairs and it was back when henna wasn't very popular. So, you know, you could do a $5 design that would take you five minutes. And then as you got better, you could do it in three minutes and mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily have to change your price, but also just having kind of this concept, like I can do this much work in an hour and therefore I'm going to charge, you know, this much an hour and just, um, or, you know, $60 an hour. Um, I mean, that doesn't really work for me now, but I guess, you know, when you find out how, how quick you are and then find out what your rate should be, um, per minute Mm -hmm. and, and then look at a design. That's a really good rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily a dollar a minute, but it can be whatever your rate is, 30 cents a minute or $4 a minute or whatever. And, and then any design that comes up, you can go, all right, that's going to take me blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
No, that w- that's definitely a good logic to apply, especially when it's just so confusing. Yeah. Like, ha- half the people in your city charge by hour, the others charge by design. Like, where do I put myself? Yeah. You know, there's just all these options. But one other thing I wanted to say is, like, I've seen hourly rates of, like, $20 an hour, and it makes me wonder, like, if that's really undercutting or if that's because the artist feels they're too slow. Yeah. And they think what would take regular people one hour would like oh, when I say regular I mean <laughs> so, someone someone that's you know professional mm-hmm. experience lots of like generally speedy um versus someone that's starting out so they feel like they should price themselves at half or a third of what you know others in the area are charging yeah. I just think that sets up sets you up for a lot of problems later yeah, definitely. Because if people know you as a person that charges $20 an hour, even if you build up your speed, it's going to be very hard to jump from 20 to to $100 an hour yeah. because the kind of market you've built and like the referrals you get are going to be shocked by that kind of price increase. Yeah. So if you feel that you're slower, I would say, well, for the thing is like, I hate saying that because I don't think faster is better. Yeah. And you know, I was going to say maybe wait it out and see, wait until you're faster, but then that's not necessarily better. So maybe it's better to take a per design approach. Yeah. Where you see, okay, well, someone else, uh, if, if it would take them 30 minutes to do this and it takes me an hour, I'm going to charge $50 for it instead of $100 because it's really like a $50 design and I would be happy earning $50, but I'm not going to put a time bound on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you scale up this kind of thinking to bridal henna designs, I actually like pricing bridal um, by design. Yeah, that's what I, I do did. now, too. Yeah. It just takes the pressure off you, exactly. right? Like, who, who cares if it takes an extra 30 minutes? Yeah. Like, as long as you're taking your time and you like the design at the end of it, or like at the end of six months of it, then you've you've done something right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and bridal's a really tough one because it's hard to unless you have a lot of experience, it's really hard to look at a design and go, oh, this is how much I would charge for it. Um, yeah. You know, you like if you know how long it takes you to do like a Mendy strip, that's one thing, but it's really hard to extrapolate, you know, like, oh, bridal hen is just 20 Mendy strips per hand and therefore... Oh, gosh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah, and bridal Mendy is just a whole other thing because you're with them for so long and they have to get up and pee or eat or get interrupted by family and phone calls and stuff. So it's there's so many intent. Well, not necessarily intangibles, but there are a lot of things that you you forget to factor into the time. And somehow, like bridal Mendy ends up taking a lot more of my energy. I feel like yeah. spending that much time in close contact with somebody, it's it's almost like an energy transfer. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to sound all woo woo. <laughs> it's but... true though. It's very stressful. Like, so, some brides I feel great after, and other brides I just feel so exhausted. Like, I, I literally come home and go straight to bed. I can't even, <laughs> like, look in my computer yeah, or anything yeah. else. And for things like that, you don't want to have the added stress of, you know, hourly, like, oh, I have to hit it in the three-hour mark. Yeah. Like, if, if you're super experienced and you know exactly what you do and how long it takes you, great. You, you, you can charge confidently hourly, but... Initially, getting into bridal henna, definitely maybe stick to um, per design, I would say. Yeah, me too. I used to do it hourly, and um, yeah, per design has has just chilled me out so much. 
Yeah. Although sometimes I'm doing it and I, and I still have in my head like, oh, this is how much time it should take. And then I'm like at three and a half hours. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. As long as I don't have it. I usually try not to plan anything afterwards so that I don't feel that pressure. I have to finish by this time to get to that person and so on. Right, right. You know, I also think customers are more, um, they feel better when they know that it's a fixed price, mm-hmm. especially for bigger dollar amounts. Yeah. Like if it's going to like 400 $450. They're generally, ha- uh, they feel better. They're more comfortable if they know that, okay, so this is my upper bound as opposed to, yeah, I charge uh, hourly. I might take five hours. I might take six hours. Like, it- it's kind of scary. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, wow. Like, it's like a taxi fare. Yeah. It just keeps racking up. Yeah, and there's a little traffic and forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my cone is a little clogged up right now. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, you know, definitely a lot of things to consider. And, you don't have to keep it the same. Like if it's not working for you, I think it's important to be able to tweak it. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just feel like I have so much things to I say. I know, about me too, because as, as we talk about it, more things are coming to me as well. <laughs> yeah, like things like you also have to decide if you, are, uh, if you want your business to be competing on price. Mm-hmm. There will always be someone that say, oh, like I found this person that's going to do it for cheaper, blah, blah, blah. And you can either negotiate with them, mm-hmm. you can tell them why you're better and you're not going to change your price, or you can just walk away from them and yeah. say, okay, well, take the cheaper price. Yeah. And, and that's that, that lost I, opportunity cost as well. Or, yeah. It's or like, do you really want to, but the thing is, I know some cultures, including mine, um, <laughs> it's, it's just habit to negotiate. Yeah. You always personal. think you, you, it's not personal and they'll do it for every vendor. <laughs> Like, even at, like, clothing stores, and they'll say, oh, like, can you just give me a 10% discount? And in my head, I'm thinking, for what? Like, yeah. are you like, are you my neighbor? Yeah. Like, do I know you? Do you have one fewer fingers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have really small hands. Yeah. <laughs> there's, also, sure. there's also the idea of pricing um, to control behavior, So yeah. which sounds really menacing, but I use this. I... I prefer to have clients come to me than for me to go to them. So I price um, henna in my studio here a little bit lower and I allow a half hour minimum if you come to me. But if I come to you, it's more expensive and I have an hour minimum. So I really have to make it worth my while because, you right. know, I can, I can go somewhere else in Brooklyn and it can be a half an hour transport there, a half an hour transport back. So I've done an hour of of travel for one hour of henna so um i've been very i i had to really look at what i prefer doing and i prefer having people come here right and by saving like shaving off five dollars from your rate yeah it's actually saving you so much more time exactly because that hour that i've spent traveling to and from that client is an hour i could have i could have had somebody here in my studio doing henna doing henna on them in the right. comfort of my home yeah where you know you can fix your lighting your setup yeah. all those other factors yeah. too i know yeah. I, sh- I showed up at a client's house and she was like oh i'm gonna have you do my back <sighs> and i was like crap i didn't bring uh, my hypofix or anything so yeah i just i prefer yeah. having people here it's so much less stressful definitely yeah. so anything else about pricing that's spinning around in your um, brain no, I think I blurted out everything that was top of mind. Yeah. That was a lot, though. It was. I'm sorry. No, that's good. It's very good. I had a lot to say, too. Yeah, I just think we're not 
it, it becomes such a sensitive topic because yeah. when someone says you're overcharging or undercharging, it, it implies things about your skills and other things about your business yeah. that it, it, it feels very judgmental. And I just think having an open conversation about pricing is better for the industry in general. Definitely, definitely. You know, when I was starting out, I was maybe a year into it, and there was this woman here who I thought was amazing, and mm -hmm. I remember her saying she charged 80 an hour, and this is back in the late 90s, and right. that was just crazy, and yeah. I was charging $40 an hour, and she came and had a talk with me because I was undercutting her, and she was very upset with me, and we used to work together. We would do street fairs and stuff together, and she said, but you're undercutting me, and you're stealing business from me, and you're really good. And meanwhile, to be honest, she was way better than me. I think she just didn't want me undercutting her. But she kept saying, no, you're right. good enough to charge more. And I was like, well, I don't feel comfortable saying I charge 80 an hour. And it was years before I – it was probably a good two or three years before I got up to that level. Yeah. Where I felt like I can say it without feeling timid and wondering if the person's going to accept my price. Yeah. And so now I, I have people undercutting me here in my market and I, I don't know, whatever. I, f I feel like there's enough people out there who love henna and it's growing mm -hmm. every day. And every person that I henna is a new fan of henna. So it, it's, it can only expand and bring prosperity to more and more of us henna artists. So I'm just, I just don't sweat yeah. it anymore. Yeah. I think, you know, by investing in other things in your business, um, like, for example, a better website. Like, yeah. I was so happy when I got Squarespace. It just, like, until then, I kind of hated my website. I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and now I feel so confident. And almost everyone that comes to me says, oh, yeah, I really liked your website. I'm like, nice. wow, okay, yeah. that, that worked out. Yeah, find other ways um, to stand above the rest. Like, you can either fight to take a bigger share of the pie, mm -hmm. or you can do work to expand the pie in general. Right, like be a better right? artist or differentiate your art from the people who are undercutting you. Yeah, or for example, like go to a new market, yeah. right? Like think about communities that uh, would love henna, but are not necessarily exposed to yeah. it. So now if, if you had like, say, a, your total target market pie is 50, I don't know, like 50 grand, mm -hmm. now you can move it to 75 grand because you've introduced a whole new, you know, sector to henna. Right. So it, instead of, I would say like, I, I, that that's always been my approach. Um, yeah. Don't, don't think about pricing too much. Don't think about what other people are doing. Do your own thing and do it really well. And, um, you know, kind of set yourself apart in multiple ways. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember when I, not when I first started doing Bridal Mandy, but maybe like a year or two in, and I would get mm -hmm. clients who, who said that they hired me because my website was more slick, because I had online booking, um, because um, I took a deposit. So right. I differentiated myself back in the day by being very professional because a lot of the other people doing bridal Mendy were women who worked at threading salons. And yeah. I heard crazy stories like, yeah, I hired this woman. She called me at the last minute and said she couldn't come because she had what? to keep her baby. She had to take care of her baby and, and said she would come as long as somebody came and picked her up like, you know, an hour away yeah. and brought her. And I would hear these stories and I thought, wow, the bar is really low for 
um, seeming professional. And then lately, more and more people are are really stepping up their game in terms of professionalism mm-hmm. and they're taking deposits and online booking and, you know, they're much more together. So I don't stand out as much. So now I have to find ways of justifying what I charge by being even more professional, or I need to differentiate my art from the people around me. And I remember you were telling me like, Lisa, you're so good at Moroccan, do more Moroccan, show more Moroccan. And it's true. Yeah. Once I started doing that, then people thought, Oh, she does different stuff. Not they don't know necessarily if I'm better or worse than than my competition, but they notice that I have a particular style and now they're mm-hmm. drawn to me or right. you know they're drawn to my competition for her style and which, you know, it's whatever they like best and whatever draws them in. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's so interesting to think about all the dynamics that go into, you know, why why does somebody pick you over yeah, another artist? Yeah. I'm getting and, I'm getting a lot of people who are local to me. So, I live in Brooklyn and uh-huh. I get a lot of people who are like, "I picked you because you were nearby." <laughs> and honestly, that's a pretty good factor too. Yeah. Like there's a reason you're paying like I know in San Francisco, I feel like, "Oh my god, I pay so much rent." Mm-hmm. Uh part of that is because I don't want a big commute. Yeah. But for a lot of people, like, lo- local artists is great. Like, oh, yeah, that's, like, two blocks from where I live. Yeah. Like, that's great. Works for me, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. And you have enough artists yeah. in San Francisco where somebody can actually say, well, um, you know, I'm in the mission, so I'm going to find someone here, and you're, you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, go to Sabrina because yeah. she's just down yeah, the street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, or because yeah. she's awesome. <laughs> that well, helps. that, too. <laughs> No, I think being in the Bay Area is great because I refer people out and I know that they're going to get in super awesome design. Like yeah. Darcy's across the Bay yeah. and, uh, you know, like Nita, Hero, I, Country. Like I can't even name all the artists know, in the area without there. looking it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it's great because, you know, it's a good community and like people refer out to each other and... It's, it's just nice to be in that kind of environment. Yeah. And, for sure. and what's interesting is that you all have different prices. Yeah. So. And it doesn't, I mean, it hasn't really like stood out to me a whole lot. I feel like the clients here care more about the quality of the work. That's great. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, availability seems to be a big one. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, like no one's available. So whatever price you quote, I will pay. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Because yeah, they need it for this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So earlier we were talking about, I'm just going to totally change the whole um, subject here. We were talking about the kind of data that you can track. And you were talking about as an artist that you should track your income from gigs and your expenses. And then for street fairs, um, talk uh, use Square Register to track different categories of items that you're selling or designs that you're doing. Um, And we also talked about offline about maybe doing some kind of demo using Google spreadsheet or using Excel to show people how to set this up, um, you know, and do formulas and whatever. So that, that um, hopefully we can do that sometime in the future, in the near future. But um, right now I, I, I wanted to bring up the topic of how to track data if you're a supplier and you know whether you're a supplier of henna or if you're selling physical objects like you know you henna little objects and you sell those at street fairs or something um Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to talk about that really briefly how i did it back when i used to be a supplier um 
because I, there weren't, there wasn't really QuickBooks or Zero or anything like that online and I and Square Register didn't exist. So I just did everything in a spreadsheet. So I would keep track of, all right, here's what the item is. Here's what it cost me. So maybe I was, um, let's say I was making little drums. I was um, buying little drums and then decorating with them, them with henna. So how much did they cost per item? Um, to buy and also how much did it cost me to henna them you know you know whatever the cost is the cost of the henna or the cost of the time the labor doing that um, and then I would note the quantity sold and then the price that I sold it at so um, oh god I'm not a math person and it's so hard to describe it in words. So I would have object A and I sold four of them and they cost me $10 each to make and I sold them for 20 each. So mm -hmm. I would have, um, how many did I say I sold? <laughs> so you're having a profit of $10 per, per object? Item. Yeah. Per item. Yeah. So it's going to be four into 10. So 40, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just put that into a spreadsheet and then I had everything that I did, you know, so for example, I would import, you know, a hundred, uh, not a hundred, let's say 10 kilos of henna, but I would sell it in hundred gram increments. So I'd have to, you know, figure out how much a hundred grams cost me. It cost me the cost of the henna. It cost me airfare. It cost me, you know, storage. It cost me packaging or whatever. And I would come up with that number and then, you know, um, that would be the cost of it. And then, for everyone sold, I made this much. And the end number that you want to come up with is, co is called cost of goods sold. So how much did it cost me to sell this item? So you have your profit mm -hmm. and then you have the how much it cost you to sell that item. Um, I think this will be a lot easier if we're actually working in spreadsheets and I can show the formulas and stuff. Um, but um, you wanted to talk about specifically how... Um, the technology that can be used nowadays to do that kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, once you have inventory, you want to, you definitely want to think about the pricing, right? Mm -hmm. You want to think about how much it's costing you to get it in your hand and get it ready to be sold. And then think about, okay, so what margin do I need to be making on a, a single item to make it worth it for me to be a supplier? And if you're making, you know, that's different for each person. It depends on how much volume you expect and all that. So for getting your initial pricing, I think doing a spreadsheet like Lisa, you just said, it is going to be hugely helpful mm -hmm. uh, because it lets you track all the things that build into the cost so that you can sit down and think about, you know, not just the obvious ones, but maybe the not so obvious ones too, right? Mm -hmm. And then come up with the pricing. But once you have pricing, um, I mean, personally, I don't have experience, uh, like I was saying before, to uh, as a supplier. But I know there's a lot of cool um, software you can use to integrate on your website. So, for example, BigCommerce is one. Um, you, you, BigCommerce integrates with a lot of websites, and I think also with Square. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I haven't used it, but you know, just something to look into and see how it can talk to each other and. When you get a sale from your product sale, does it go into Square Register and things like that oh, okay. um, for reporting? Um, there's another cool one that I was reading about recently. So 
there's multiple channels you can sell your inventory on, right? Like you can sell some on Etsy, you can sell some on, mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't know, like, okay, I, I don't want to say eBay because I'm not a huge fan, <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you can sell it on eBay. Yeah. Um, and then you can sell it on your website. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's easy to lose track of how much inventory you have at any given point because each of these systems don't really talk to each other, right? right. Um, so if you're selling, like, a candle and it gets sold on Etsy, you want your website to be able to update that sale too, even though it's on a completely different platform. So you can use a tool called Stitch Labs. Okay. Um, uh, you can just look it up. So Stitch Labs is this thing where it aggregates all your inventory on different channels, oh, and every cool. time one of them changes, it updates updates it everywhere. So it just shaves some time off from you manually updating oh, for great. sales. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, and you know what? In this t- day, like, there's a lot of channels, and as a supplier, like, it, it makes sense for me to do it and, like, push your product in many, many channels. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to limit yourself to, I mean, you could limit yourself for reasons, yeah. but if, if you're trying to, like, just push as much as possible, then you want to kind of expand where you're selling your product. Yeah. And having, like, little tools like this will just make that part easier. Yeah. Um. And definitely uh, think about if you're using a third-party software to help you do online sales, like, you know, have a have a cart on, the, on your website mm-hmm. and do a checkout process. Um, they sometimes offer integration with accounting software like QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. So you should look into that. And if you already have one, you can see what features your particular, uh, your particular provider offers. Yeah. Or if you're shopping around for a new system to do a shopping cart, you can think about what features they have and see, you know, like we were talking about before, right? How it fits into your particular ecosystem. Yeah. Like what what tools do you already use um, and how does it integrate with those? Yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, so I think for the particulars of that, about how to do these calculations and how to set up your data, we can do that through Google Hangout and actually do a demo and and I think it'll be useful for people to see if they have Google Spreadsheet, how can they use Google Spreadsheet? And if you have Excel, how to use Excel. So, Yeah. yeah. And even things like if you have the Google form on your website, mm-hmm. how it um, creates a spreadsheet that you can then later access and then do little like summary calculations on oh, it to cool. see, you know, yeah, like wh- how many people have reached out to you. Mm-hmm month over month yeah. and see which which months are more popular or whatever else you want to analyze. So the last thing I want to talk about is the the actual tool. So we've mentioned a few things here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the software that we use or even the hardware that we use. So I'm, um, I'm curious to hear about what your setup is, what's your workflow and okay you know, just include the software and the tools. And also for me, I'm, I'm really all about integration and efficiency for me. And then also for things to be really easy for my clients too. I hate going on these websites where you can't figure out how you're supposed to pay or when you're going to pay, or, you know, I just, I can't stand that. So for me, that's my, that's my thing. So I'm, I'm curious to see how you made your choices for the things that you do. So, so what's your, what's your workflow? Okay, well, so we'll start with how people contact Mm -hmm. me. So before I used to be very picky and, you know, I hated phone calls. (laughs) 
But I got to a point where I started, like, I mean, it was mo- mostly a personal thing because I hate generally talking on the phone to people because I don't, I can't take notes easily yeah, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but now I said, you know, if someone's reaching out to me, it's, and I'm saying I have a business, it's kind of my job to respond to mm-hmm. them. Um, so even if they do leave me voicemails, I actually do respond to them now. <laughs> um, so uh, people contact me through the website. Um that's mostly how I get it, like phone calls, text messages, and website. Mm-hmm. And I respond to them. Uh, one part of my workflow that I recently implemented and I actually quite like is if a lot of the time during the day I can take a phone call at work mm-hmm. and I do this reply with message oh, feature yeah, on I my love phone. That, yeah. It's great. So it actually, uh, I think if you go to like your settings and messages, it lets you uh, write down like two or three canned responses yeah. to phone calls. Yeah. And in one of them, I say, hi, you read Samia, Joy, Pena, blah, 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 like, you know, and uh, I can't take your call right now, but please free, uh, leave me a text message mm-hmm. or email at uh, something. And, you know, so many of those people actually do yep. respond with the text yep. because I think the percentage of people that call me from landlines is like close to zero. <laughs> so they have their cell phone in their hand already, and it doesn't take that much more time for them to write a text. So that has helped me greatly decrease the number of voicemails I have, yep. which is fantastic. Yep, I do that too. It's, um, um, it's so- under, on the iPhone, it's under settings and then general and mm-hmm. then, uh, keyboard and then shortcuts. Yeah. So. I think there's also a way to do that if you do, um, like, if you go to settings. I don't have my phone with me right now. I think it's settings. You can set up um, really quick uh, replies. Yeah. So if you go to, like, settings and messages mm-hmm. for the texting yeah. app or the phone the app. The phone app, yeah, that's can... exactly what it is. Oh, the phone app, yeah. sorry. So settings, then the phone, Respond and then it'll text. say, like, on my way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you can set up a bunch of those. And then when the call comes in, one of the options is to message the person. And I assume it's mm-hmm. the same for Droid. I, it's such a common thing now. I think I'm pretty sure they have something like that. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, if you just do a quick look up, it should come yeah. up. Um. So anyway, that's one, that's the initial part of my workflow. Mm-hmm. And then I... Because of texting, I can actually write down all the details in my reply text, yeah. including, um, you know, this is how much I charge. Um, and for availability, I used to give them a lot of options because I thought that was better. <laughs> but now I give them like one or one and I say, oh, I'm available this date at this time. <laughs> and it does actually two things for you. It makes you look like you're really busy, which is really yeah. good. It's almost like getting a hairdresser appointment for me. It's like, oh, my God, like, when is she finally going to be available? <laughs> um, I know I'm actually not that busy. Most of the time, I'm just hanging out at home. Yeah. But I, I still say that because you don't want to have, A, you don't want to give them too many options because the more options you have, the harder, harder it gets to decide. And they might just not decide, which is not good for us. Yeah. Uh, but also you don't have back and forth. They'll say yes or no. And if it's a real no, I say, okay, so tell me what works for you. And I'll say Monday to Friday, I can only do nights, for example, yeah. or whatever your limits are, right? But you don't have them. Go, um, you don't have so, them go to your booking software and look f- up your availability there. 
Okay, so for booking software, um, I did before. I would just send them a link and they would follow that process. Mm -hmm. But the last couple of months, I've been traveling a lot. So I just turned off booking software on my website. Oh, okay. So, and now I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know how busy I want to be anymore. So <laughs> I've, I've just like taken a break from online booking. Okay. Which is crazy because it tells me that online booking did increase my volume, which is good <laughs> in, a, in a way. Yeah. But at this point, like I have a lot of um, late nights at work and I don't necessarily want to calendar them all in in GCAL to block it off. Right. And I just feel like if I'm taking like one or two gigs per week, I don't really need a booking software. Yeah. So it, it comes back to figuring out what tools of the trade are good for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, book. I know everyone raves about booking software, but if you think it's more of a hassle to maintain your calendar to make sure the booking software system works, it's probably not worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And then what do you do about deposits if you don't use the booking software? I don't take deposits anymore. <laughs> I mean, most of the people, uh, like, like I said, right, it's because my volume is way down. And I'm at a point where I'm focusing on my day job a lot more right mm -hmm. now. It's just a busier time. And I'm saying, like, if uh, this person is a no-show, I will just gladly take that time back. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, definitely that used to tick me off a lot. Like, I hate waiting around. Yeah. And um, having online booking was a huge help. Like, it, you just know. But the, the funny thing was Square uh, Appointments gave me an option to charge people. And I don't know. I, I'm kind of a wuss. I still didn't charge anybody, even if they were late. I was like, oh, I feel bad. Okay. I'm like, this is such a fail. That's the luxury of having a full-time job, though. It is. And I realized, like, this is not a best practice. Mm -hmm. Like, you, if you have a policy, you should definitely stick to yeah. it. But, you know, you, you, you make decisions based on how you feel. Yeah. And that's. I think that's also the benefit of being your own boss. Like, uh, you, you take decisions, executive decisions yep. like that, and no one's going to ask you why. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. So in terms of actual workflow, like, so once I meet the client um, and it comes time for payment, well, I mean, I do henna in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> so I take payment. Uh, like I said, I'd like to put everything in register. Mm -hmm. Do you even do um, the cash ones in register? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just for tracking. Mm -hmm. So that end of the, I, I also have a separate spreadsheet that I enter things into after, um, just because I enter other details in them, like, uh, oh, this person is a referral from client XYZ, and that helps me kind of track, right? Like how much are through referrals, mm -hmm. how much are through, you know, and I also ask them like just in conversation where they heard about mm -hmm. me, um, it's, it's not like a form they fill out when they book, but when I'm doing henna, I'm like, oh, so how did you hear about henna or how did you find out about me, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and, um, you know, that's a good way to see what marketing is working and what's not. So like a couple of years ago, a lot of it used to be through Facebook, but now Facebook's basically dead for me. Yeah. Um, and I haven't even updated my Facebook page in months. <laughs> I, I, I updated it accidentally when Instagram shared it to my page instead of my profile. So you can see how bad it is. <laughs> Um, but Instagram has been really yeah. good. Uh, and a lot of people just find it through, you know, if you search for henna on Google, it uses your location. Um, if you have like a Google map listing yeah. or a business directory yeah. listing and, um, it, it shows people that are close to you. So having like a Google, I think it's called, it used to be called Google uh, local bunch of things, or... like 
yeah, like Google local or Google my business or something like yeah. that. Um, basically, it puts your business on the map, yeah. which is great because most people are searching just like find me a henna artist near yeah. me, right? That's how I look for other yeah, things exactly. like a hairdresser or a restaurant. Yeah. So um, you think about how you look for stuff for other things, and that's exactly what other people are yeah. doing to look for you. Yeah. Given um, your target demographic, if you're if you're looking for like octogenarian so women or something maybe not so much yeah yeah, <laughs> get, yeah, yeah. get in the yellow pages oh my god <laughs> yellow what <laughs> paper um oh like real paper um so let's see so i i put all that info in a spreadsheet um i also track if it's like a party or a private appointment mm-hmm. um because i like to see how much of my you know what just just the split between how much is private appointments versus parties and things yeah. like that. Not that I do any real analysis with those it, with the data. <laughs> I kind of just let it sit. Yeah. But it's, it's it's just good. I feel like tracking it as you're doing it is way better than thinking back to oh my god, like I remember this name, but was it a private gig or was it yeah. like a birthday party? Yeah. Like it's just you don't want to be doing guesswork later, yeah. right? Um. So and then that's my like income part of the workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use an accounting software, so I just leave it on the spreadsheet. It's easy enough for me. Um, and expenses, I just write down like, like you, I have a separate like label or folder in Gmail for henna. So every time I get like an email receipt or an order confirmation or something like that, I'll just add it to that. And I'll also add it to my spreadsheet under expenses. So my spreadsheet is literally the it's exactly what it sounds like at the top is income Mm -hmm. and I have date and I list out the name of the client, the amount and what kind of gig it was and how they found me. If I have that information and down below is expenses. And I list out like date of the expense, what it is like, this is my conference registration fee for blah, blah, blah. Um, and just line by line, how much it is. And I don't do this, but I probably should, but, um, it's, it'll be good to track how you paid for it. Mm. Yeah. So if you're looking for, you know, some kind of backup, like, how did this go out of my bank? Like, if it's a check, you can look for the check on your online uh-huh. bank statement. Um, That would be good for later. Yeah. But basically, like, all the info you have, um, you want to keep, especially for expenses. You never know what is adequate. Yeah. I mean, you can find out from your tax advisor. That's a good way to do it, too. So you're not wasting a whole bunch of extra time keeping things that you don't really need to keep track yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and also I think in the U.S. they changed the number of years that you have to keep old receipts. And I think it used to be like seven years and now it's three years or something like that. Um, yeah. And then also my tax preparer just gives me everything on a CD. So, you know, everything's just That's scanned on a CD. So I save that. And I, I made so much room in my storage space just getting rid of all that old crap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I I hate it when stuff just piles up in my computer. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, how am I ever gonna find this yeah. stuff? But another tip with Gmail is, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Inbox Zero. Mm-hmm. So what I do is, anything that comes in, I read it, and if there's an action item, I leave it in there until that action item is mm-hmm. done. And like the action items I track on a separate to-do list, right? Like for example, in my to-do list, I'll say today I need to do like one, two, three, four, five items. Mm -hmm. And once that is crossed off, I'll go to my email. But with Gmail, you can archive things. And there's 
like cool little keyboard shortcuts for yeah, Gmail. But I use you those obsessively. Still, they're so <laughs> yeah. great. Like toggling between emails and Gmail is very fast. Yeah. If you, you know, once you just get the hang of how things work and how to search for things yeah. and, you know, and if you, I think if you just do like a question mark on your inbox page, it pops up a keyboard shortcut list. Oh, okay. That's cool. You also have to turn, I think you have to turn on using keyboard shortcuts in this yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. Oh, I forgot about that. But I think, um, so having everything in archive will move it out of my inbox so it's not cluttering up and my inbox can be small enough for me to see, okay, so these are the things I need to keep in my radar. Um, And everything else is still there. So if you, I'm not deleting any emails. You're just getting it out of your view. Yeah, Yeah. I think I've had Gmail since like 2005, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I've barely deleted any emails. Like I've deleted maybe ones with like big photo attachments, mm-hmm. like back in the day when that was the only way to yeah. send around photos. Um, I've deleted like those yeah. humongous yeah. emails. But you know, like receipt emails are never gonna blow up your inbox. Like they're so small because it's mostly just text. Yeah. So you don't wanna, you know, just delete emails. Like keep those ones. Yeah. Um. What else do we have? Oh, I also tried using this app called mailbox oh yeah I don't know if you've heard of it yeah so, I, I keep going back and forth with it I'm not sure if I'm yeah I don't yet. use it anymore but there was this one feature that I, I actually like so for Hannah gigs um you know if you have like an appointment confirmation email that has their address and their phone number and all that mm-hmm. stuff um I don't necessarily want to always have it in my inbox but mailbox uh the app had a cool feature where you can Tell it to go away, and then it'll come back on the date of the gig. Oh, there's something. It's a, a Gmail add-in called Boomerang. Oh, yeah? yeah. Is that what it does? Um, it does oh, that. Cool. It, it basically it can pause an email, and then you can tell it when you want it to come back. And then you can nah. also delay. Nice. You can schedule emails to go out. So if you know that you need something to go out at midnight, you know, on Tuesday, you can schedule it to go out then. I just got oh, it, cool. and... Um, I was just kind of I was playing around with it but I haven't actually used it so that might be a good thing to yeah to send yourself yeah. that information again because sometimes like you'll have a back and forth with a bride and they've sent you a gazillion photos but their wedding isn't for two months so you don't want it just in yeah there. and yeah. then I arrive and she's like remember the photos I sent and I'm like oh let me search on my phone trying to find that email which is of, the yeah. worst but yeah um so boomerang will do yeah. that it'll you know you can say um, send this back to me or bring this up to the top mm-hmm. on such and such a date. That's really yeah. cool. I'm taking notes. Yeah. Um, let's see. So other than that, oh, yes. I use Google Calendar obsessively. Oh, okay. Um, I use it for my personal life. And I basically, when I had square appointments, it would work with my Gcal. But now, like, I just have one calendar, and I calendar in all my events. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, this phone call is in my Google Calendar. <laughs> so whether or not it's a henna, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Like, I think calendars work only when you have 100% reliability, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Because if you only put in henna gigs, what about when you have conflicts? Yeah. You're not going to find yeah. out. So I think once you... Um, I mean, if, if, and whatever other system you have is fine too, as long as it has everything in your life. Mm-hmm. So if you have like a paper agenda book, then that's fine too. As long as you're tracking other things, like for example, oh, I booked, a, I'm, I'm going to a concert this evening. Like if you don't write in the concert in your agenda, then, you know, you, you're not going to know that when someone's asking to book that date. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think like with all the tools we have right now, like double booking should be a thing of the yeah. past. 
like, oh, I accidentally double booked for this time slot. Like, it, it, it still happens to the best of us, but, you know, we should strive to avoid it as much as we can. Yeah, yeah definitely. And let's see. I think, and I mean, I put my pricing info on the website because I hate it when people call me only to find out my hourly rate and then hang up. Yeah. It's like, come on. Yeah, that's, really? yeah, that's not useful. It's a waste of everyone's time. And it just, yeah, if you put yeah. the prices up there, it'll weed out the people who are looking for something really cheap. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just, and I don't negotiate with clients on prices. So I'll negotiate, you yeah. know, like, oh, you want this design in a half an hour? Okay, we're going to have to simplify it, but that's it. Yeah. And honestly, most of my clients are completely okay with that because to them, they don't see the level of detail that you and I probably yeah, recognize. Yeah, exactly. So I ask them what's important to them, if it's the coverage or if it's the detail, and I will just change yeah, it. Exactly. And that's completely fine <laughs> yeah. by most people. So I'm going to go quickly through my workflow and please chime in mm -hmm. if you think there's a better way to do it because I'm always open. And like I said, I care about integration and efficiency. And then also I want my clients to find it easy for them to book. Mm -hmm. So um, I also have kind of a morbid fear of talking on the phone. And because I have a day job, I just can't take calls during the day. So I use the, um, I actually use iPhone shortcuts. So I have a whole bunch set up. So if I get a voicemail from somebody and they say, oh, I'm interested in a private appointment, I send, my, send them my little private um, appointment blurb by text, and it includes a link to my booking um, service. And then if they're mm -hmm. asking about bridal, I have a key, uh, an iPhone shortcut for that. Um, so I, I rarely answer the phone. Um, and I rarely get back to voicemail, which is terrible. I'm trying to be better at it, but it's it's kind of like by and starts. Yeah. And my outgoing message just says um, that I'm not available, but you can um, book online. <laughs> so I'm always like, booking, <laughs> I like I'm that. pushing people to book online because um, – they can see what my availability is because it syncs mm -hmm. with my calendar on my computer and I make sure right. like you were saying I make sure my my uh, my calendar is always up to date so like if a friend says hey let's get together Saturday afternoon I'll I'll put in a block of time in my personal calendar for you know where I'm not available on Saturday afternoon so clients know they can't book me Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always pushing them. And then also they pay the deposit. Like you can't book an appointment with me unless you pay a deposit. So I don't have that right. all, all that back and forth, like, Oh, here's the PayPal invoice and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so that gets handled and I don't, it doesn't even go mm -hmm. into my calendar until I get payment from them. And then I check and make sure it works with my calendar and then I approve it through the booking software. Right. And then, um, I, I don't want my booking software to send my email or my address because it's my home address. So once I get the confirmation, I email the person directly and say, here are the directions to my place. And I tell them that they can pay their balance with um, cash or credit card. No checks. Checks mm -hmm. are a waste of time. Please do not give me a check. I do not want to have to go to the bank. I hate Wait, wait a second. You can mobile deposit checks. Um, yeah, but I think it's like only f like a certain number a month and... Oh yeah. really? Maybe it depends on your bank. Yeah, that but could be it. I know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about the limits, but I know I have Chase, and I've always mobile deposited my checks. I I used to be very bad at going mm -hmm. to banks too, but having it on my iPhone is like a lifesaver. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, that's um that's a very good point. Um, I just um I I don't know. There's something about like you can only deposit a certain amount or a certain number of checks, but I'm 
I haven't gotcha. actually done it. So that's just like, I'm just making it yeah. up. <laughs> uh, but, no, no, no. I, I get it. Yeah, like, I still checks. much prefer a cash yeah. or credit card. And, um, oh. and then um, the one thing I have, uh, uh, my booking software is BookFresh, and they were bought out by Square, but they won't let me switch to Square until, uh, or I guess I could, but I would I paid for the year in advance. Um, so I'm going to switch to square once, um, at the end of the year. And I put a note in my calendar to remind me to, to start switching. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessive with my calendar. Um, but my booking software is, I really love it and I count on it for everything. And it saves me so much time because I don't have to do all that back and forth with a client. Um, and so I think maybe it's like 20 or $30 a month. I think I, I think it's less if you buy for the full year. That's how a lot of these work. Um, it's worth mm -hmm. every single penny that I pay for it. Cause it's just, it's so perfect. And, um, the client can see what my cancellation policy is. They can see what my, um, um, what my lateness policy is. All of my policies are on there. You can book for any kind of event, like if a four hour party or a half an hour appointment or a belly or a class or whatever, all of this can be scheduled through there. Um, so it's really one-stop shopping for the client and I, it's integrated into my website and I can even integrate links to a particular service. So I have a page for classes. So I just put a link into the class, not to all of the services that are available so they don't have to scroll through the list mm -hmm. of things and then you know I have a different link for people who want to book a party and they all they see are the links for parties um and then um that's pretty yeah awesome. and then the booking service also sends reminders to the client and the and the client can choose what reminders they want and how they want them sent so if they want them want the reminders text to them they can have that um, and then I can specify what the reminder says, like your appointment's coming up tomorrow. Remember no lotion or oils on your skin. And remember that you're not going to be able to wash your skin for this many hours and that kind of stuff. So right. it does that all for me. And it's, oh, it's just, I love it. Cause it just saves me so much time. Yeah. I remember I used to like have to manually email people oh, to remind yeah. them of things not to do before yeah. their appointment. It just like saves yeah. all this extra yeah. work. It's amazing. And then also I, you know, like if I have a gig, like let's say I'm traveling for a gig, um, mm -hmm. I, I just put in, um, I go into the software and I click the address and it opens up Google Maps and I click directions and it says, okay, the next train for this place leaves at, you know, 4.52 p.m. And then I get to the train station and get my ticket. It's, it's amazing. awesome. Yeah. And then their phone number is in there like, I'm here, I'm at your door or whatever. Right. Um, and then I take payment, like I said, cash or square. So I use my square reader. I'm thinking about using square to, to track my cash stuff too, just so I have all that. Um, mm -hmm. And the other integration that I have is when I post something on Instagram, it automatically posts on Facebook, which I mean, Facebook isn't that important, but there's some people only follow me there. So I put it there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's this thing called IFTTT. <gasps> it's like my favorite. <laughs> I know, I love it too. So IFTTT is um, if, then, if this, then that. And you can say, 
there are all these, they're called recipes. I'm just telling this to other people, not to you. Um, there are recipes mm -hmm. that you can find and um, install or whatever, and they do things for you. So for example, I have a recipe that says, if I post something on Instagram, then post it to this place on Facebook. So if this, then that. And I haven't really used it that much, but there are so many different things you could do with that. Like if I do this, then put it in GCAL and make it pink on my calendar or something. So they're, they're it's macros. really great. What, um, is there anything that you use it for regarding your um, kind of business? I use it for like, let's see. So I use it to post things to my Twitter natively. Mm -hmm. So the way Instagram automatic Twitter share works is that it just posts the link to Instagram. Oh. Like it doesn't show as a photo on people's Twitter feed. Oh, okay. And most people don't really click on links until like they, and, and you know, photos have way better engagement yeah. anyway. Um, so I use if to do that. Like yeah, I, I do say, that too. And if can post it as a real yeah. photo, right? In yep. Twitter. Um, I mean, I use if mostly for personal life. Like I get it to text me the weather at 8 a.m. every day. So I know what, whether to take a jacket yeah. or not. Um, honestly, I use it for like very frivolous things. <laughs> like if this person posts a thing on Instagram, then to send me a text. And, you know, I definitely wow, you could really that stalk only. someone very effectively that way. <laughs> you could, except the, the people that I have this for, it's okay. Like they're close enough. They want to be stalked. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people like my husband. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, totally stalk him. Um, no, just kidding. I don't. <laughs> but, um, other things like, let's see, I think it does cool things by like, I'm just signing in to see if it has any recipes for um, Square or for Google. Sheets. Yeah, that's the other thing you can do is you can do a search. Like if you have, um, you know, you're wondering, oh, what if I could automate my calendar a little bit? You can just do iCal or GCal and just look up IF IFTTT recipes for GCal right. or something. Like, you know, I would think it'd be cool if um, every time you take a payment on Square, I don't even know if Square has an if channel, but if you take a payment, it will automatically add a row into a Google Sheet oof, with all the details. Oof. Like, doesn't that sound amazing? That would amazing? be awesome. Tell me if you find that. Oh, God. I'm trying to log in, but I forgot You can hear her it. tapping away. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, I think I got the password. Okay. So... Sorry, keep talking. Um, so d I, I just uh, enjoy while you listen to Samia and Lisa geek out over <laughs> technology. <laughs> um, one thing that I use that probably has no um, no uh, application for Henna is I use a an app called TripIt, and it looks for any emails that I get that are confirmations for travel and aggregates them in there into an itinerary. So I can just open it up, like I'm going to Turkey next month, and I can just open it up and my flight confirmation went into the itinerary, my Airbnb went in there, and if I like, you know, booked any other travel or a restaurant or something like that, it'll just go in there and then I can just see from the top to the bottom all, all of the things that I have to do. And it'll say like, oh, you have to check out of your Airbnb at 2 p.m. and your flight leaves at wow. such and such and the weather on this day is going to be this. So that's amazing. Yeah, I love that thing. So to follow back on it, yeah. there is actually a recipe that does exactly what I said it does. So payments ex accepted via Square adds a row to a spreadsheet. Can you send so, that to me? 
I can. I'm linking that too right, right now. So what it basically will do is, so right now, you know how in my process flow I said um, I'm doing this manually, yeah. right? I'm taking a payment and then I have to remember to go to a spreadsheet. <gasps> and what happens invariably is I forget. Or you have another client and, and you can't remember which one is which. Yeah. And sometimes I only get around to updating the spreadsheet like a month later and then I go, go back to my calendar and then look at all the henna's that happened. Like, you know, thankfully volume is not crazy. So I, I, it's actually still doable. But if you have this, it does it for you. And what if you could find a recipe that you post something to Instagram and it links it, it puts that photo of that client, that client's henna in that spreadsheet? <laughs> That would be so they... cool. Okay, so let me see. <laughs> Payments accepted. <laughs> like if it, uh, but you know, I would think it needs like some kind of linking factor. Yeah, you so probably have to Instagram... post the photo in or upload the photo to Square. Like around the same time or the same day or yeah. something like that. But yeah. I, the thing with Ift, um, which is what I call mm -hmm. it, it's That's like a I lot easier. Yeah, right? Ift. <laughs> um, the thing with Ift is it really is built for non-tech savvy people. Yeah. So it's it's literally like a drag and drop. Yeah, it's very logical. You don't logical. need to know any programming. Yeah, you just have to say, okay, so if this happens, do this for me. So it's just making computers do a whole bunch of work that you would otherwise yeah. have to do yourself. And I think it. I think you can connect it to a lot of different things, like your Nest thermostat and you know your LED programmable lights or whatever. You can do so many different things. Yeah. It's crazy. If it's 10 p.m., please turn off the yeah, light. It's time to go to bed. <laughs> or turn off turn the, the Wi-Fi. Right <laughs> oh, no. I would get up and turn yeah. it on. <laughs> uh, anyway, so if just yeah. great. Sorry. Keep yeah. going. So it's funny because uh, the next thing on my list of things to talk about is wish list. Like what, what do you wish that um, – what kind of tech or um, – efficiency or whatever would you wish for your business and I guess ift is kind of we're kind of thinking on that in that realm now mm -hmm. and the cool thing with ift is like it's a platform right so new people are like you know companies are adding new channels and new things you can yeah. do um, with their products every day yeah. so it's it's really like you can be really creative and think of all the things you do um it's nice that we walk through this. Like you kind of start with the initial of how do we get gigs to the end, mm -hmm. and see what parts of the process is like manual, tedious, um, yeah, and those things. I mean, the thing I really wish I could automate is like cone rolling, but I don't think it supports that yeah. yet. I really doubt it. Unfortunately, <laughs> unless you had like some child in China rolling them for you, like as soon as an appointment oh. is made, <laughs> please roll cone and mail it to. <laughs> I actually I like know. cone rolling. I just I just put on a movie and just roll a bunch of cones and I don't know. Yeah, I should really change my attitude about that. Think of it as meditation or I don't know. <laughs> Especially because you don't have that so. many to do. Yeah, I think what's frustrating for me is that I'm very slow at uh, it. I've never been very good with things like, you know, crafty things. Uh, okay. So I have to be very careful and slow. Like, I'm so jealous of people that can just, like, not even look at it and roll yeah. and it looks good. I'm like, wow. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I, maybe, yeah, I need to think about things that, like, maybe put on some good music yeah, or get yourself in a rhythm. associated with better, yeah. or, better activities yeah. that I generally or As soon enjoy. as I'm done with this, I'm going to do something fun. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. I will, I will yeah. do that. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I think we've covered everything. I'm looking back over my list. I think we got everything.
Awesome. That's really fun. I had no idea it was going to be two hours of talk. We've been talking for two hours. I know. I calendared in like half an hour. I was like, yeah, counting. I calendared in two hours because I knew, but now we've gone over two hours. So, um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's a bigger issue than you imagine. And it's because of what you said at the beginning that we're here as artists and all of this stuff is, is outside of our wheelhouse, but now it's not so much, hopefully. Yeah. And I think the good thing about technology now is it's, it's being built for people like, exactly. you know, that are not expected to have any tech background. Exactly. It's built for the masses. Yeah. And we, it, it, all we need to do is just learn about them and take advantage. Yeah. And I think that the takeaway is what you were saying about the ecosystem, like find, sit down and really have a plan for what tools do you need? And of those tools, which of them integrate with the ones you already have? Like if you're using, um, I can't remember the name of the thing, um, like a particular booking software, find things that work with that. If you're using a, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a PayPal person, work with that and, and really think about that, um, that ecosystem. Cause I know in the past they didn't all play te- play well together and I was picking up one thing and then dropping it and then picking up another thing, but it didn't work with that thing. And now stuff is really, people are really trying to make it work across different platforms and integrate well. So, you know, it's easier for us to do that, but we still have to think about it and make sure that it all works together. And then you also mentioned, um, that just put it mm-hmm. in your system somehow. Just find a way to record it. Whatever you use, even if it's not fully integrated into everything else, at least record it someplace and and then just work on on finding a, a better tool to integrate it, but always record it somehow. Record that data. Yeah. I think just recording as it's happening is like a million yeah. times easier. Yeah. And I don't usually do that, but now that now that you're gonna send me that um, ift for square, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, well, thanks for talking to me and letting me pick your brain. It's been really fascinating, and I have a lot of new ideas for my own business now. I hope everyone else does too. I mean, likewise. I I really enjoyed the conversation. Cool. All right. Lisa. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All okay. Right, bye. bye. Since that was such a long interview and packed with so much information, I'll keep my closing remarks short and sweet. I really want to thank all of my podcast fans out there for being so loyal and so patient while I was on my unplanned hiatus. Doing this interview reminded me of how much I enjoy this work, and I promise you I'll bring you more interviews very soon, so please stay tuned. Remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever other program you use to access your podcasts. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks and bye.